Welcome to the third episode of the Agents of E-Commerce podcast. Today we have Brenda Higuchi, who's one of those awesome people that can be really smart and do a really good job of explaining a fairly complicated topic such as AI, artificial intelligence, machine learning, and we have a really nice conversation and she goes deep into some of the capabilities as well as the potential of this new technology. Hope you enjoyed the podcast. Thanks. All right, welcome back to the third episode of the Agents of E-Commerce podcast. I am here with Brenda Higuchi, the Senior Vice President of Analytics and Optimization here at Exchange Solutions. Say hi, Brenda. Hi, Eric. How are you? I'm doing well. (laughs) Thanks for dealing with me and my audio difficulties. As I always say, it's user Eric. (laughs) So um, great. So if you could tell us a little bit about yourself and what got you into sort of the e-commerce interesting world that you're in right now. Sure. Uh, well, I guess i um, always been interested in data. When I was in uh, university, I was doing uh, degrees in statistics and uh, always gravitated less to the theoretical courses, more to the hands-on courses where I got to mess around with data a little bit and got my start uh, about 20 years ago. Oh, gosh, that ages me a little bit. Um, back in the middle 90s when uh, banks and retailers were doing uh, direct response modeling uh, for direct mail campaigns and they were looking to be more efficient uh, with their mail distribution and uh, boy it's come a long way <laughs> since that time where now machines are doing a lot of the work here which is I think what we're here to talk about today. But uh, yeah, hopefully I'm not looking for another job because I've been replaced by a machine, but at least we can talk a little bit about uh, what, what we're trying to accomplish with these uh, new methods. Well, we can't actually prove that you're not a machine at the moment, <laughs> but we'll, we'll leave that whole philosophical debate for, for another podcast. But correct, yeah. So the, the topic today, of course, is, is AI, artificial intelligence and machine learning. And Brenda has uh, some great experience in that. We're going to definitely be focusing in on uh, what it is, what it means, the impact primarily for e-commerce and retailers. So, you know, if you could help us out a little bit at the start and just sort of define uh, in, in the context of e-commerce what, what AI and ML really are and are they different and uh, why do they get sort of confused? Yeah, that's a, that's a good point because there's a lot of articles um, and resources out there right now on the topics and they tend to use the two interchangeably, uh, artificial intelligence and machine learning. In fact, machine learning is a subset of artificial intelligence. AI has been around for actually a very long time first talked about probably in the 1950s, first coined. Um, And it's a very broad field, actually, which really uh, sums up its as um, intelligence exhibited by machines um, and trying to mimic or compare to human intelligence. And what uh, how this works are machines and computers are uh, trained to achieve certain goals. They can learn to problem solve um, and mimic those brain functions. And you've got specialized field in AI, uh, such as robotics. Uh, I think you've probably seen those videos out there with the robots that look like dogs that walk around and Mm -hmm. other robots that can do backflips and and that sort of thing. Uh, So obviously a lot of advancements in that field. Um, There's been a lot of research done in the area of image recognition, as well as in speech and natural language processing. So when you're talking to 
uh, tools like Alexa and uh, Siri, uh, they're actually processing uh, your language and turning it into something that a machine can understand and respond to. Um, so that's what artificial intelligence is. When you, we talk about machine learning, it's one of those fields that have been employed more in the e-commerce and marketing area, uh, among other things. Uh, but it's really uh, wraps the science around getting computer systems to learn from data without explicitly being programmed or being told what to do. They're learning what to do. Um, you know, when we talk about a kind of a narrow focus in that area, uh, it's really about learning concepts and algorithms. You hear about predictive analytics, um, which is uh, part of machine learning, uh, as well as deep learning, uh, where you get uh, kind of several layers of a trained machine to support certain functions. Cool. Yeah, I definitely think that, you know, we often hear both of those terms interchangeably. And I think uh, what what my experience has been with, with primarily with machine learning, I just think of it as sort of pattern recognition, right? Mm-hmm. What, what computers are really good at is seeing patterns and consuming massive amounts of data That's and thereby great. understanding those in a way that we as humans just simply can't. We just don't have the facility to consume that much information. Machines can. And, and how we best channel and use that, you know, when you talk about things like Google and processing imagery to identify you know, images. You know, mm-hmm. my, my Google photo account, I could type in a word dog and it'll pull up all the pictures of dogs. Just That's blows right. my mind. Yeah, and it, it, you can't, I guess, it's hard for humans to conceptualize, you know, if you want to recognize a face, for mm-hmm. example, and how a picture of a face has to be broken down pixel by pixel. And you start within a pixel to recognize a curve of an eyebrow or a corner of a mouth. And um, by being able to analyze each pixel and looking for specific shapes in those pixels and then ultimately compiling that into say, hey, that's a face, mm-hmm. you know, um, and then not only, hey, that's a face, but now I want specific kinds of faces, you know, that sort of thing. So that's really what what they've been doing in the image recognition area. Right. So these are all sort of exciting things that, that we as you know, general consumers can benefit from. And a lot of us are taking advantage of it by using Alexa, by using the Google Voice apps. And and all these things are, are sort of channeling us into a place where we're trusting the machines to make decisions on our behalf, to create better experiences. Yeah, um, I have some good stories about that later in the podcast. Ooh, ooh. <laughs> Let's just do a little foreshadowing. Jeez, I like that. So, you know, I think when we talk about this, these tools, right, they're, they're the right tools for certain jobs. And we've talked mm-hmm. about a couple uh, use cases. You know, when we talk about uh, conceptually, what what is it good for when it comes to uh, our world, when it comes to e-commerce and digital? Maybe you could talk a little bit about that and how we've how you and we've applied it here at Exchange Solutions. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, uh, so conceptually, it's useful for automation, right? And like you said, where there's a ton of data that has to be consumed and uh, reacted to uh, in a very quick manner. Um, you know, when we have difficulty describing what that solution would look like or the desired outputs keep changing over time uh, or where each example needs a rule, uh, if it's hard to define a set of rules that allow a program to, to recognize an object like we just described uh, about being recognized a face or something as complex as driving a car, you know, how do you teach a machine to, to drive a car? Um, things like uh, detecting uh, fraudulent credit card transactions or predicting stock prices Um, We've got a lot of dynamics going on in a market when it comes to stocks or where, um, uh, you know, fraudsters are constantly changing their their modes of operation. 
uh, those are difficult for someone to maintain intuitively or manually, right? So we want the machines to adapt and learn automatically to those changing patterns. When it comes to e-commerce, there's a lot of applications where machine learning is being employed, one being um, product recommendations. So that's something I think people are very familiar with where you go on Amazon or another e-commerce retailer and, and you when you shop and you're browsing and certainly when you put product into your cart, you're seeing recommendations to say, People who bought this also bought this or, you know, here's a complimentary product to what you just put in there. Um, you know, they're looking at things like uh, machines are looking at things like uh, your recency of shopping behavior, the popularity of the items, uh, the profitability um, is important for, for retailers, availability, ex- expiration date. All those things are going into consideration in terms of product recommendation. Um, they're looking to present similar items uh, in any product or category uh, that a customer has engaged in previously. For example, um, displaying, I mentioned, complementary products already based on similar tastes. Uh, so you get to take advantage of what the machine has learned other customers uh, have bought. And uh, this is becoming um, more important uh, because the product offering in most e-commerce retailers, they've got thousands of SKUs tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands in some cases. And so for a customer to sort through all that and understand what they want to purchase um, becomes more challenging. Uh, Starbucks uh, has an example uh, where they have a chat bot. Uh, So we talked a little bit about um, applications like Siri and and Alexa. Uh, In their case, it's called My Barista. It's part of their app and allows users to order by voice or text. We talked about the machine being able to understand language Um, whether it's spoken or written, uh, it uses that technology to analyze the customer order data to provide more accurate accurate recommendations for future orders. Wow. I think, you know, when I think about the product world and why computers do a very good job in recommendations is that it could really analyze the rich attribute data. It could see all the different attributes that that exist around a product and connect the ones that maybe like, or if you can see patterns of buyers and how they shop, seeing all those different attributes across a much larger data set allows you to learn about which of the ones are correlated, maybe in ways that you as a human wouldn't necessarily think, but the data may tell a different story. Yeah, there's uh, there's certainly the intuitive pairings. You know, if you're buying a drill, you might need drill bits, for mm-hmm. example. Um, but there might be less intuitive pairings. Um, an example of my own career, uh, when we were looking on the merchandise rewards side, was things like luggage and watches. Right? So you wouldn't necessarily think about trying to sell someone a watch who's looking to purchase a travel product. Um, but what we were finding was consumers who were um, rewarding themselves with luggage is also uh, with that personal item. Mm-hmm. Um, another application for e-commerce is search. And so we talked about uh, really the, the benefit, one of the benefits of product recommendations, obviously, for the consumer is it aids in their shopping experience and delivers a more personalized shopping experience. It also helps the retailer by expanding the spend of that customer. Search is kind of the same thing. How does a, a consumer find what they're looking for? Uh, and again, they're entering text. Um, in fact, I'm going to talk about um, where they can actually uh, upload photos, for example, to aid with their search. Um, but it's, it's more than just listing products that match keywords, which is what maybe how it would have been done more intuitively or more manually in the past. You know, someone types in drill, you know, you can find all the products or all the SKUs in your database that match the word drill. Uh, Or we can uh, start to find complementary products. If I have to, uh, maybe I'm doing a renovation and there's other products that's uh, associated with that. 
but we're making sure that it's contextually appropriate. Hmm. Um, and when we talked about earlier about this image and visual search is an area that's that's really growing. Um, and that's where you can, uh, customers are really uh, doing things such as finding um, pictures on Pinterest, for example, and then they can actually upload that photo uh, onto the retailer's site. And if they have the capacity or the machine to do visual search for them, uh, they can find matching product based on an image, not just on a keyword. Uh, so those are the types of innovations that are happening around search. And so c- consumers are not only finding a class of products that they're looking for, but maybe even a very specific product that they're looking for without having to type in, you know, the very specific name or skew. They can just say, I saw this thing on social media somewhere um, and be able to either shop it right there in social media, or I can at least take the photo and upload it to, to my preferred retailer and find what I'm looking for. Nice. So, so these machines are enabling both greater inputs into a search process as well as the outputs, more relevant results, I think you know we see that in lots of places, I and mean, I think and when anyone goes into Google mm-hmm. and you start to type in a search result, it's anticipating based That's on right. what it knows about you, what the most appropriate even question is before you even get an answer. Exactly, out. and yeah. that's why Google's uh, so powerful, mm-hmm. right, with everybody. And and um, retailers, I think, in the beginning weren't big fans of, of Google because uh, it was taking customers maybe away from their site to do search in more generic fashion. But I think they've learned to, to to live with the devil because of the advantages <laughs> it provides, right? So, so I think the more um, retailers are working with uh, these companies that have the capacity and these tools, um, you know, when we talk about even for analysts for a second, the ones that are producing uh, these results and these machine learning, Google and Amazon are providing um, uh, serverless architectures and uh, web services. Uh, where machine learning modules are built right in. Mm-hmm. And again, I, I'm not trying to give up my job here, <laughs> but you know, at the end of the day, it makes my job easier if I can get the data into, uh, into that cloud, into Amazon or uh, Google uh, or Microsoft Azure, for example. And they've got the tools right there, the software that I need to be able to produce these machine learning models and frankly deploy them uh, without having to worry about IT ops and, and this, that's the other thing. So the, the industry is certainly changing very quickly and it's not just analyst roles that are changing, but it's all the support roles around IT and technology and operations as well. Yeah, but I think it would bring up a great point that the companies like Google and Amazon are lowering the barriers of entry to engaging with these technologies. Mm-hmm. And it's really more about the individual again, uh, the human, coming mm-hmm. up with the hypotheses, the approaches to leverage this horsepower mm-hmm. to create value. And I think you know that kind of bridges us, I think, well to, to the work that you're doing here at ESI and how you've adopted these technologies to create you know, new products, new platforms for, for engagement. Maybe you could speak a little bit about, about the methodology and the approach and, and how we got into sort of this space. Sure. And when it comes to machine learning, it's more than just the models. Um, so the models are, in my mind, the most interesting part because that's the area uh, where I spend a lot of my time and Geek. focus. Sorry. Yes. <laughs> I'm wearing my propeller hat as we speak. <laughs> Um, but first of all, the, let me talk a little bit about the application and, and what we're uh, exploring machine learning for. Uh, when we uh, talk about e-commerce specifically, uh, uh, your audience probably very familiar with uh, what we call customer lifetime value drivers, right? So these are the customer behaviors that drive value for the retailers. So spending more when I'm there, converting when I'm there, coming back frequently and spending more when I come back. 
um, trying to dive deeper in certain categories uh, or, for example, shaping demand. Uh, if I've got inventory that I need to relieve myself of, that sort of thing. So that's what we're looking at, uh, trying to understand. So our models are trying to predict these behaviors and understand what interventions we can do to help assist with, um, for example, closing a sale on an e-commerce site or expanding that basket when customers are purchasing. So that's the specific application. And, and the data that we're using is the clickstream data. So when a customer is shopping on the site, um, when they're clicking through and they're browsing product and they're looking for information, they're reading reviews, we're seeing all those clicks, all those page loads uh, using a tag on our on, on the customer's site. Uh, very simple integration um, to collect that data. And then in real time, our algorithms are doing decisioning on that, right? So they're trying to predict your chance of checking out, they're trying to predict your spend. And then we have a set of uh, rules on top of that that are intended to generate an offer for that customer if we see, for example, that uh, they're unlikely to check out or they have capacity to spend more. Uh, we're generating uh, offers for them based on that behavior as well as the uh, economics in the cart and making sure that, for example, we're taking into account the margin of the product that they've, they've got there uh, when de- delivering a kind of a one-to-one intelligent offer. That's the application. Cool. Yeah, I think, you know, when, when I've seen this in action, one of the things that, that I think is really interesting is that a lot of the personalization platforms out there depend tremendously on their past customer data about things they've done a long time ago. And one thing I think since what we're learning is that it's more about where you're at in the moment, mm-hmm. where you are as a buyer and how you perform on a site and even site to site may be different. But you know, when I come to a site, my attitude as a shopper it is, it could be very different based on where I am and sort of the buying curve. And that's something that I think this platform does a, a uniquely good job at not depending on that data in the past because mm-hmm. really it only matters in that moment where you're at. That's right. And you know what? We don't want to discount your historical information because that does give us some knowledge, obviously. But when you think about a lot of consumers that are on websites, they're anonymous, right? We haven't, um, they're not logging in necessarily. We don't necessarily have a profile on that customer where we can tag a lot of that history to that customer. So this allows us to even treat customers who are visiting your site without being a known customer. I think there's a lot uh, in, in the marketing realm, there's a lot of uh, discussion around that known customer and that customer history. In this case, uh, we may have that and we'll take advantage of it if we do. But if we don't, uh, it's not necessary because we are um, pretty focused on what you're doing right now. Uh, but the, a couple of other pieces involved with that. So I talked about the specific application. One of the first things uh, that we had to do with machine learning is look at our infrastructure. And so we've been doing uh, experimenting with machine learning for the better part of three years now. And the first piece we had to do is we, we weren't really set up uh, to even be able to start exploring machine learning models because we didn't have the applications or the software that we needed. So we had to look at servers. For example, we needed very powerful servers um, to, to be able to handle the capacity and the computation that's required as, and the amount of data that we're using as part of this. We had to figure out how to deal with this unstructured data, right? So they're, we're coming in with clickstream data. It's a bunch of URLs and lots of text information and that sort of thing. So we had to figure out what what were the data elements that we really needed to capture. You know, how do we store that in terms of um, that information for a machine learning model? And then ultimately um, go through a whole process of what we call feature engineering, which is really the attributes you were talking about, is what are those kind of key bits of information about that session that we need to understand or about that user uh, so that we can do these predictions. 
And um, so we had to build that infrastructure. We also were um, doing this live on our platform. And uh, what we were, we were nervous about the fact that this is a fairly uh, development project versus a platform that was working very, very well um, and could be configured with a difference with rules. We didn't want the machine learning model to um, impact the performance of that platform or the performance of our client's site. And so we had to develop as a, as a fail-safe module where it would fail gracefully. And so what we had was a kind of a default configuration in our platform. And then there was almost a race condition to say that if the machine learning model did its thing fast enough, our platform would take into account what the machine learning model had to say. Uh, if not, it had a default to, to fall back on. So there wasn't this interruption um, in what we were trying to achieve for our client. And obviously had to get the client's permission uh, to test on some data, that sort of thing. And we also built the whole thing in Python. Uh, so traditionally, um, when we look at more traditional analytics and models, a, a lot of shops use SaaS or other tools uh, to do their analytics. In this case, um, our, our uh, PhD in machine learning um, came uh, with expertise in Python. And obviously, that's the, the tools and the software that's uh, broadly used uh, when it comes to machine learning model development. It not only allows you to develop models, but also the software surrounding those models to be able to operationalize it. And then we had to wrap all of that into Kubernetes so that we had a kind of a continuous uh, delivery platform and module that is easy to deploy because the whole benefit of machine learning is that those models can adapt quickly. And so if operationally you can't get those new models into market quickly, you lose the benefit. And so by wrapping it up in in Kubernetes, our our machine learning team was able to make adaptations to the model and publish uh, within hours, within several times a day, in fact. Uh, So that took quite a bit of time to work out all that that infrastructure. And then the last piece is really the methodology, the fun stuff in terms of of building models. Uh, We haven't really talked about the different ways, in, like in terms of supervised learning or unsupervised learning, like there's some detail. And in, in fact, uh, we have a white paper that I'm, I'm sure you can link your audience to sure. that talks a little bit more in depth about about those areas. But we uh, methodology wise, we do supervised machine learning. And what that means uh, being supervised is that in our data set, we have all this attribute information coming in and then we're telling the machine the outcome, right? Whether the person checked out or didn't check out or how much they spent. And the machine then knows what outcome we're trying to achieve. Uh, That's supervised learning. And unsupervised learning, just really quickly on that topic, um, there is no uh, defined outcome, right, uh, in terms of an application. But in this case, we use two methodologies. Uh, One, in terms of predicting the conversion likelihood, we we want to look at the sequence of events occurring in a clickstream. And so there's a dependency there to say, what's the likelihood that um, a checkout's going to happen given the last event? And uh, that's a, a, a statistical methodology called Markov chains and using Markov models for that. And that allows us to con- kind of capture that dependency and understand um, kind of in a matrix framework where that conversion is going to come from. When we talk about predicting spend and predicting cart size, uh, we used a methodology called random forest decision trees. Uh, decision tree is going to be a common methodology used in other marketing applications that people have probably heard of. It's it's more of a, a rules-based um, where you can think of an if-then-else kind of structure. If this is true and this is true and this is true, then this is the outcome. Um, but in a random forest decision trees, there's thousands of trees that are built. And then those are brought together uh, to determine the best prediction based on what thousands of trees have to say, not just a single tree. 
Hope we didn't get too technical for you on that one. <laughs> well, you know, a little bit, but I, 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 you know, I know I have a little bit of information, which is probably a dangerous thing. But I do think you know it's it's interesting to hear the the multiple approaches that you need to apply because again, we're learning as the machines are learning. That's right. And uh, the outputs and the results are ultimately what what really matter. And I think that's that's what's been impressive about the the constant evolution of a platform like this because it, it's sort of made to evolve. That's right. Yeah. That's right. And, it, and it, our, our eventual goal is to have the models learn and adapt on their own. Right now, uh, we, we do manage that process. Um, but once we're confident in the process, uh, then the, the, we should have very little actual analyst intervention in the whole thing. So disintermediating yourself. That's again. right. Fully automated and, <laughs> ad- and adapting and publishing on its own when it sees a better result. Right. Great. Oh, good. So, I mean, I think we'll be definitely keeping tabs on, on how this program is developing. And uh, it's great to get some, some additional insights on it. So um, is there anything else you want to speak to about this? I mean, then we could also talk about a little more about the where we see some of this technology going. Yeah, no, I, I think, um, I, I mean, certainly there's many other applications. And, uh, maybe I'll just touch on a couple of those briefly. Um, dynamic pricing is mm-hmm. an area of interest that I think people have seen. Uh, you've seen that actually for some time in like uh, industries like hotels and airlines that are uh, pricing product based on capacity and yield. Um, so, you mean I'm not getting the same airline ticket price as somebody else? Does that shock you? Oh, <laughs> no, and in fact, uh, uh, I've seen um, uh, vendors like Trivago actually um, using that in their advertising to show people that they're not. <laughs> and it's, uh, the awareness is going up, but uh, more and more retailers are looking at dynamic pricing. And again, it's not meant to maybe maximize the best price, but certainly personalized pricing and um and uh, the ability to um, maybe even give you a deal if that's what uh, what the retailer wants to do to recognize things like um, more back office stuff in terms of forecasting inventory, anticipatory, anticipatory that's a hard word, <laughs> uh, shipping. Uh, so Amazon's talked a little bit about, for example, predicting what you might buy before you even decide to buy it and actually ship it to you in anticipation that you actually will buy it. Um, I don't, that's an interesting area for me. I'm kind of curious how well that will work out, but, uh, uh, those types of, those types of applications. Um, but in terms of where the industry is going, I think that's where we have some interesting stories. Uh, don't know if you have, um, things that you've read recently that are kind of interesting. Oh, definitely. But I'm a, I'm a bit of a a buff about this stuff. Mm -hmm. It's, it's an area that I think is fascinating and, and retailers are, are starting to catch on. I think they're a little bit slower. Than some of the other markets. But I'd say I, cautious too. Yeah. yeah, I think they're probably in the exploratory stage as well. Definitely, because I mean, there's a fine line between you know being creepy and being valuable mm-hmm. and, and providing relevance and context and people understanding that that they're definitely at, at the mercy in some regards of these calculations that are happening behind the scenes all mm. the time. That's right. <laughs> uh, so no, I do think it's it's exciting stuff because in many regards it, it's going to create better experiences and, and hopefully better engagement. And ultimately uh, for retailers, it's an opportunity to really leverage the information they have about their customers, about their products, and really try to find the right the right fit from a pricing, from a merchandising, from a uh, pure selling standpoint. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in terms of where it's going for e-commerce, uh, probably the biggest, um, you know, uh, I guess, uh, thing that Google recently implemented was uh, something called Duplex. And I don't know if you saw that video where they're using AI technology. Again, it's around the personal assistant and uh, natural 
having natural conversations with human beings, uh, they actually have an AI assistant that managed to book a hair appointment and a restaurant reservation with live humans without the humans understanding that they were talking to an AI application, uh, which I thought was uh, fascinating um, because what you could see, and if you if you look up, there's many videos on the, mm-hmm. on the subject, you can definitely look those up. Uh, but they have interjected things like what you hear from me when I'm speaking to you, when I have the uhs and the ums as I'm hesitating. Um, you, you know, just did it now. They've actually introduced that and they, they've introduced natural pauses in the conversation so that it doesn't sound robotic in any way, shape or form. You can have a human voice but have too perfect of a diction. Uh, they've actually introduced those kind of more human failures so that it seems more natural in terms of a conversation. But to be able to even interpret, for example, with the rest, uh, the example with the uh, the restaurant is the human was giving incorrect answers to the questions being asked and had a, a fairly uh, thick accent on top of it, and the AI application was still able to get through it and, and book the reservation. Yeah, that was that was really impressive. I think it also speaks to Google's uh, translation mm-hmm. capability. I think they leveraged a lot of that their ability mm-hmm. to essentially use Google Translate uh, in this case English, but mm-hmm. obviously understanding that the meaning of the words. It's funny you mentioned sort of the inserting the pauses and the ahs. You know, personally, I get really annoyed when I call a call center and I know it's a computer talking to me and they have the typing sound mm-hmm. in the background. <laughs> That's, That's funny. That, that just drives it's me It's like the laugh badly. track on a bad uh, comedy it's show. Like, <laughs> I know you're a machine. You know you're a machine. Nobody types. And it, it sounds like a typewriter, too. I mean, who even uses that typewriter? Anyway, sorry, I digress, but just had to vent there for, for a second. Um, but no, I think that is it's an amazing video if you have a chance to, and I'll try to I'll put a link in to, to that as well because it really does showcase where we're going here and uh, another potential for disintermediation of, of, of certain you know jobs. For yeah, as well. I, I mean, the, the implication in my mind for that is on customer service side. So you can have 24-7 customer service. They never get sick. They never have a bad day, um, you know, and uh, so you talk about kind of um, – maybe what, what I would call more uh, lower-level jobs, uh, service-oriented jobs uh, get talked about a lot in terms of being replaced in terms of automation and so on. But even professional jobs, uh, another example I read about recently is Alibaba, a big um, e-commerce retailer in Asia. And they have an AI tool that actually can produce copy. They can produce 20,000 lines of content per second, uh, which gives them uh, the ability, for example, to write copy for product without the intervention of a manual copywriter and uh, to be able to personalize that copy for the person that's searching that that product, again, without human intervention. Whoa. So that, that's a fairly recent one. It'll be interesting to see what, what happens with that. But uh, again, you figure Alibaba has probably hundreds of thousands of products that they sell. So to not have to have an army of copywriters and to have an AI machine do all the copy, um, it's got to be significant savings. That That's... Creepy, scary, cool, all at once. <laughs> well, that's a good segue because maybe to wrap up a little bit here, I do have uh, that kind of creepy, scary story for you. Um, one of the areas that uh, a lot of machine learning applications are wrestling with is bias. And what bias is really referring to is that uh, it's it's kind of the idea of the data in versus the data out. Depending on what's being fed into the machine, it, it gets trained and it learns based on what the inputs are. And uh, so, for example, there was a story about a year ago about uh, an AI that Microsoft had released as a test. 
and they'd released it in social media. And a number of users uh, were seeing what they could do to, um, I guess, inflict harm on Microsoft and started saying really nasty things to this AI. And, and uh, very quickly, within a couple of days, that AI started to spew out very racist comments and Microsoft had to take that down. So that that's a, a little bit of a horror story. But the more recent one was, um, again, it was uh, researchers at MIT were trying to prove this point about bias and how easily uh, an AI application, machine learning application can be biased. And they actually took their AI application and trained it on conversations in kind of those dark corners of Reddit uh, that most of us don't know about. And they called this AI Norman uh, for a reason, uh, Norman being the main character in that movie Psycho. And so what they did is they trained Norman uh, in Reddit and they compared uh, Norman's responses to an, a no- call it a normally trained nor- neural network on the Rorschach ink blots. Again, try to trip myself up with these big words. Um, but just a a way to evaluate psychological disorders. And for example, in one Ingblot, the standard neural network saw a black and white photo of a small bird. Pretty innocuous. Norman saw, man gets pulled into dough machine. Wow. Yeah, a little bit scary. And, And like I said, the point of the experiment was to show how easy it is to bias an AI if you train it on biased data and can certainly lead to those unintended or undesired results. And uh, some of the things you hear about a little bit, again, when we go back to something like dynamic pricing, is depending on those inputs and, and who's purchasing, you can result in pricing tailored to something like ethnicity, which is going to be uh, a no-go for most retailers. So those are the, that's probably why they're pre- proceeding more cautiously, is to avoid uh, challenges like that. Awesome. And it's sort of a nature versus nurture. That's right. <laughs> but a little bit scary. I think that's what makes people a little bit of afraid of the technology. Um, uh, especially when you talk about autonomous robots and, and that sort of thing, way more advanced than what we're doing here in the marketing realm. Um, all we're trying to do is get better experiences to our clients and their customers. So hopefully that we're causing no harm in the process, but certainly things to uh, consider. Well, you know, definitely progress is going to require some failures and some positives as we go but um anyway so brenda i want to thank you again for your time this has really been educational and informative and i'll put some of the links into the uh, the comments of this podcast so you can follow along with some of the items we discussed here but uh thanks again yeah thank you mm-hmm.